Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. Thank you for coming out tonight. It's cold, and, uh, but at least it gets you out from watching Dancing on Ice, <coughs> which is good in anyone's books. Um, I'm Stuart. I've been coming here for about five years, and um, I mostly appear in the glass box at the back, um, hitting things with sticks. It's so good to be free. It won't last. I'll be back there soon. When I was 15 years old, um, if we could have the slide, next slide up. <coughs> I had to get you in there, mate. I had to get you in. Yeah. Yeah, when I was 15, I, uh, I gave my life to Jesus. Is that him on the left? <laughs> Dream on. <laughs> the problem was, I'd also given my life to motorsport. And for this, I blame Nigel Mansell. It was 19, next slide, please. Here he is. Um, 1986, I was uh, 15. Uh, it was the Adelaide Grand Prix, Australia. I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I think I'd seen half a Grand Prix before. And um, Scott, my brother, and I got up to watch this one because he had the chance of winning the championship. I thought, this is going to be pretty good. And then his tyre blew uh, at about 180 miles an hour. And that was it. And I was kind of, well, this is the first Grand Prix I've watched. Is he still going to win it? Can he jump in another car? What's going to happen? I didn't know. Hadn't got a clue. He didn't. There we are. But I was hooked. <laughs> Absolutely hooked. He did win it subsequently. And it, motorsport became all I kind of thought about, apart from girls. It was motorsport. It's all I thought about, because cars, you know this. Cars, cars, not girls, but cars. Um, <laughs> And I couldn't, I could not wait to drive. I would, this is how sad it is. I would go out to the garage, sit in my mum and dad's car, and um, I would put my granddad's post office helmet on, because he used to ride a scooter. It's a good look, it is a good look. Not everyone can carry it off. And I would sit in the car, and I would go through the gears, and I'd pretend I was racing and all the rest of it. And so, uh, I think it might have been a Montego. Yeah. But don't, but don't tell my mum and dad this bit, because when I, before I was driving, uh, I used to go up and down a gravel lane in a friend's Hillman Imp. And that's just where London Irish are, just when it was waste ground, really. And there was a gravel track, and we used to drive up down there quite quickly. Um, anyway, I, I digress, going on a bit. Um, passed my test, absolutely loved it. And um, we used to go, me and my friend Steve, we used to go out into Surrey, driving in Surrey lanes when it was quiet. Um, mostly instead of going to college, actually, which would explain a lot of the results that I got, or lack of. Um, and then, um, next slide, I think it's the next one. When I was 20, I started co-driving for Steve, and we would go to forests all over the country um, and throw our car through gravel and all sorts of things. It was fantastic. Um, and around this time, I started karting and doing lots of sort of things. So it was just all motorsport. It really was. It had kind of taken over. But then, as it does, it got really expensive, um, and I had to kind of pack it in a bit. So I, I started, I kept going with karting, but the rallying had to stop, and that was the end of the dream. Oh. But then, I was watching TV one evening, and I thought, because I'm, I'm just a racer, I have to race. You know this? Yes, Fiat Panda, you remember that? Yeah. And um, so I just had to race. So I thought, well, what am I going to do now? I need something that's going to be cheaper. And I saw some bike racing on TV, cycling. And I thought, oh, I like that. That could be good. There it is. There's Alpduez. It's me going up there. But I got into cycle racing as well. So I had, um, I had all the tight-fitting Lycra. I had the ridiculous sunglasses and probably the smoothest legs in Sunbury. And uh, 
possibly still have. It's <coughs> uh, around. <laughs> I'd always ridden bikes, so it was really cool. shush, please. It was, um, it was, it was. I'd always ridden bikes from school and going to school and the rest of it. And there was one occasion when Callum and I were, were cycling down the towpath, and before I'd left home, it was getting a bit dark. Dad said, "Have you got your lights? Have you got your lights?" So I went, uh, "Yeah, yeah, I got my lights. I hadn't got my lights." So um, we cycled into Staines, and then cycling back, it was re- it was really pitch black. And um, I just, we were chatting away side by side, and I cycled into a bench at full speed without seeing it. Did really massive head over heels, um, somersault type thing. And I could hear Callum just cycling on, chatting away. It's like, well, I'm just, just okay. Um, I was all right, thank you for asking. <clears throat> Throughout this time, I'd always attended church, I'd always gone to youth groups, so faith was still really, really big, but it was kind of a a little bit of a back step from motorsport, but it was always, it was always there. I was absorbed by um, racing, and it kind of took over. And then, when I was 30 years old, not long ago, um, I um, yeah, it's just good, isn't it? <laughs> but do that again. Be quiet. So I um, yeah, 30 years old, and I had an epileptic seizure, my first first one, and it stopped me from driving for for, for a year. And it felt like the whole world had just dropped out and everything had been stripped away. That's story one. Next is story two. If we could have the next slide. There's a lady at Sunbury Cross. I work from home, so quite regularly I might go for a wander up there, uh, get some lunch <clears throat> sometimes. So I do make my own, obviously, Tracy. Um, <laughs> sometimes go up there. Um, but she, yes, so there's this lady that sits up there, doesn't look any different, she's a normal lady, uh, but she's always alone. And she sits up there on one of the benches. You wouldn't really pick her out as being unusual or anything. Um, I don't know if she's had a hard life, um, but I would say she's probably on the fringe of society, to use a bit of a cliche. Um, people ignore her, generally, uh, regretfully, me included. Um, and I've heard that she's had relationship problems, she's um, been married five times, she's, um, yeah, just, I think just struggling. Um, I don't know about her upbringing, I don't know whether she'd been hurt in the past, don't really know anything about her, only from what I've heard. And she doesn't make eye contact with anyone, and no one makes eye contact with her. And then one day I was up there, and uh, saw this man walk up to her, and he says, um, Will you give me something to drink? That's story two. Now, next slide, please. We are looking at a new series um, called Five Purposes of Church, but I thought that sounded really dull. So I renamed it, and I've renamed it Five Ways to Grow, which is more snappy, I think. Um, So we're going to be looking at all these, these five things here, and today we're starting with worship. And we're looking at it, how do we grow both as individuals but also as a church, as a big, as a big group of people who come together. Um, and then, next slide. Today's talk is called, What Are You Staring At? Two stories in a pile of boxes. All will become clear, I promise, I hope. Callum is going to come and read uh, John 4, verses 7 to 24. Is there a mic? Yeah. And um, Callum is my official reader. He's come from Canada to do this. Um, I refuse to do it without him. 
Uh, in the beginning, was it? no, wrong, wrong text. Uh, John 4, verses 7 to 24. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Isn't he good? That's why I won't work with anyone else. Very good at reading, always has been. This is a really well-known account, generally, uh, the woman at the well. Um, <clears throat> and the reason I told you story too, although it was fictional and made up, I wanted you to picture how it could have been, how it might have been. This woman who was totally alienated, I wanted you to picture it. So Jesus and his disciples, if you had the next slide, um, please. Um, his disciples are, are in um, Samaria, not Sunbury, and the mountain uh, Gerizim where they're on, um, sits where West Bank is now, and it um, sits between Jerusalem and Nazareth. That's about as far as my geography goes, I'm afraid. Um, verse 4, that we, that we didn't read, but the, John says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he's talking about Jesus and his disciples. He said he had to go through Samaria, as though it, we want to skirt around the side of it, which would, you would normally, and I'll tell you why. The Jews and the Samaritans despised each other. They couldn't bear each other. The Jews thought the Samaritans had walked away from their faith. They thought they'd started worshipping idols. They'd married, in their, in their view, pagan nations. Um, and this, this issue went right back re- a long, long time ago in the, say, the reign of Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And the, the northern territories of, um, of this area refused to worship the king. So they had their own king, and his name was Jeroboam, very similar, very original. Um, 
Anyway, this is what caused the North-South divide. So there was, there was real bitterness and hatred between the two. The North then went into exile because they were invaded by Assyria. And then the South, Judah, they got, they got taken away by the Babylonians. So all good, really. When the remnants of those generations came back, there were still tensions. They still weren't getting on, to say the least. So it's into this setting that we see this Samaritan woman sitting at the well in the heat of the day on her own. Despised not only by the Jews, but by her own people as well. Like a double whammy, if you like. Jesus talks to her about this sort of living water and she's, uh, talk, he's talking about her not getting thirsty again. And she's going, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. I don't want to come to this well. I think she's thinking physical water. I don't want to come here in the middle of the day on my own being stared at. I'll have some of that. They then chat about the fact that she's been married five times before and the person she's not with now is, is not her husband etc. And she kind of goes, okay, who is this guy? If we could have the, the next slide, John 4, verses 19 to 20. Our ancestors, she said, worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we, we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now this is a really important point. Uh, Point, not pint, that'll be later. Um, a fit, this is a really like a physical place uh, that they go to meet with God. It's massively important to their culture. They have to go to a place. So for the Samaritans, it was Mount Gerizim, and for the Jews, it was the temple in Jerusalem. And actually, it still is today because the Jews will go as close as they can get to the original temple, which is the Wailing Wall. So this physical place is very important when they worship. Um, God but I, I wonder if she's really asking this do you think that God is willing to accept and hear from us wherever we come from and G Jesus clearly takes her side because she's the first person that he ever told that he was the Messiah this, this outsider this person who should be hated by the Jews she's the first person he tells says, I am the Messiah. And she was the first evangelist, went back to her village and tells people about Jesus, an outsider. Just fascinating and challenging, to say the least. Jesus acknowledges the sense of place um, and worship that there is. And then he blows the whole thing open. And he says in the next slide, verse 21, <clears throat> Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. What? No place whatsoever. What is, what's going on? We don't have to worship in a place. Well, where do we go to worship now? What do we do? Stroll about. Verse 23, which is the next slide, I think. Jesus says that, um, is meaning this. He's saying that geography, history, social status, racism, background, social barriers have no part in this anymore. It isn't going to matter. It's going to be one, one group. 
I don't know if you remember in the Bible about the, um, when Jesus goes into the temple and turns over all the tables and there's coins everywhere and, and um, it, it's, uh, he's pretty unhappy. What I love is the fact that he makes a whip to do it with. I love that. I can just see him sitting there boiling with rage, watching all this going on as people sell and trade. And he's just there going, <laughs> I just, I think the image is amazing. Just like, <laughs> but he, it wasn't happy bunny. And he wasn't happy because people, the poor, were getting ripped off because they were being charged for sacrificial doves, which should have been free to the poor. And they were being charged for them. He wasn't happy about that. Instead of the temple being open to everyone, it had become an exclusive club to a select few. It wasn't open to everyone. Uh, John 2, verse 19, which is the next slide. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Jesus is referring to his impending death, which is coming up, his death and his resurrection. He's claiming that it's his body is the temple, not the building anymore, it's his body. And you kill me, I will rise again. He is now our worship center, not a place, not a mountain, not a temple. He is our worship place. So there is no more need for a place to worship. There's no more curtain that keeps us from the Holy of Holies. Remember that was torn in two when he was in his resurrection. There is now a Holy Spirit, always has been, and it powerfully filled the early church in Acts. And it powerfully fills us today, whatever we call our church now, the later church, the current church, I don't know. There is Jesus, there is the truth, the saviour that brings us back to God. The good news that he is not confined to a place anymore. Not a mountain, not a building. He dwells with everyone who comes to him. The good news is that there aren't any hoops to jump through. We can meet with him anywhere. We can approach him wherever we are. The good news is that you don't have to say any special words. Thank goodness. I hate jargon. The good news that is, is that he loves to hear from you. But there's bad news as well, unfortunately. And it's to do with us because we chuck barriers up in front of God. We build them without even realizing it. And, and, and we create these idols that, we, that subtly get built up and stop us from worshipping God in spirit and in truth with everything that we are. Each one of us has things that get in the way of worshipping God. But we all worship something, and that's natural. We're human beings. We all want to give thanks to something. We want to worship something. We want to follow something, be part of something. And what we spend most of our time thinking about, or doing, or, or dwelling on, and putting more importance on, that's possibly an idol. They might be things like pursuing money. It might be careers, or shopping, or adventure, relationships, alcohol, television, all the usual stuff you've heard before. But they can build up. They can get in the way. 
What about us as a church, as a group of people? Do we have things that we put more importance on than worshipping God? Is there a certain sermon style? If so, I'll be on my way. Is there, what about music? What about busyness? What about numbers of people? Oh, how many are here tonight? Oh, I'm not going to count. Are these things really important? Do we put priority on them? Maybe yes or no, don't know. But sometimes the things that we see as idols are not really the idol. They're symptoms. There's stuff going on at a deeper level. You need to find out what you're staring at, really. What is it? Number two is smash your idols. In January 2012, I was going through a really tough time. I, um, I'd just been told I was be, uh, being made redundant, which was, was hard. My, one of my best friends had died. Uh, my dad was in hospital with heart problems. I'd had another seizure, not driving for another year, all, all sorts of stuff. And my brain went, no, thank you very much. I've uh, had enough of all that. So I thought, I need to get some help. I need to go and talk to someone. So I went to see a counsellor and had six sessions. It was amazing. It was fantastic. Session two, this is how good she was. There I am, a 42-year-old man, blubbing wreck, crying my eyes out, <laughs> just um, uncontrollable in front of this, if this total stranger. But what I uncovered in, that, in those six sessions, that actually was probably the second session where it hit, it wasn't actually, it wasn't motorsport that was um, my idol, wasn't that at all. And it wasn't cycling, it turned out. That wasn't my idol either. Although I thought it was. It wasn't cricket. I used to do that, a bit of that as well. It wasn't career and all that stuff. There is it. It turned out that the idol that was buried deep beneath what I thought was, uh, was there. It was actually on the surface. But deep underneath all that, I was grieving and trying to please my granddad who died when I was 12. And I, he was like a hero to me. He was in the Navy, he was in the war. Goodness me, where's a man to follow? He was very short though, so I took from the other side of the family. But I'd lived my life trying to please him, trying to say, I'm really special, I'm doing everything I can, are you happy with me? And then um, the counsellor said to me, what you need to do, you're stuck in this grief cycle, you're 30 years in and you're stuck, you're stuck in it. And uh, he said, what you need to do, she said rather, what you need to do, write a letter to your granddad and go somewhere, read it out. So I went to the crematorium, which was in Bromley. I had to drive all the way over there. <laughs> and I went with my mum. And um, I read this thing out, blubbering wreck again, sobbing my way through it. But I was free. All of a sudden, I'd finished this letter, and it was just like this weight being lifted off. It's like, I don't have to please him anymore. I just can be myself. This idol had gone. It had gone. We have to smash these idols. We have to find them. We have to search for them. We have to stare at them and take these boxes down that get in the way of um, seeing Jesus.
Talk to someone if you need to. Join a life group. Pray. Pray that God would reveal these idols, especially the ones buried at the bottom. Find out what you're staring at. Pray with someone tonight after the, after the service. There'll be people about to pray with. Do it. And thirdly, replace your idols. Being free from the idols we uncover in our lives begins to take the focus off of ourselves. When I was trying to please my granddad, I was, it was all about me. It was, it was things I wanted to achieve because... And my, my focus wasn't on other people generally. I was striving to please him. Instead, I can now thank God that I knew him rather than the other way, if you get what I mean. Replace your idols with worshipping God. In Romans, the Romans um, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will what does renewing your mind look like for you is it to say actually i've bought into this lie that money's going to buy me happiness or my career's going to fulfill me or whatever it might be what do you need to renew your mind to say to you what does renewing our thinking look like for us as a church what does that look like? Is it about numbers? I don't think it is, is it? Do we become too busy as individuals in a group to be approachable? It's a challenge, this stuff. What, what helps you worship, properly worship, giving God everything? Is it going for a walk in the mountains? If so, good luck around here, but you might have to travel. <laughs> there is a bridge over some big cross, though. We could hike up that if it's listening to music do that go and listen to music if that helps you worship if it's going for a bike ride go for a bike ride if it's singing at the top of your voice don't do that <laughs> well you can if you can sing if it's having a coffee go and have a coffee with a friend if that helps you worship if that connection brings you closer to God Whatever it is, do that, because God wants people who are coming alive, not stuck in a rut. He longs for us as individuals and as a church to come alive, because Jesus bought us that freedom through his death and his resurrection. And when we're alive and trusting completely in the promises of God, other people notice us. They notice us and they notice the church. The next slide is this. When we focus on God, other people come into focus. I made that up. I didn't read that anywhere. <laughs> I quite like it. <laughs> when we focus on God, other people come into focus. And there's certainly been the, the case in, in, in my life, once I get it, when I get it right. So the good news is that Jesus has the power to transform us and others. He can transform our thinking. He can free us from idols, the ones buried below all the rest as well. We just have to stare at the right person, Jesus. So who are you staring at? If the band would like to come up. Underneath your...
uh, chairs, there's bits of cardboard which I cut out lovingly this afternoon. You can do what you like with these, you can leave them there if you want, you can recycle them, you can put them in your purse, ladies, or in your wallet. <clears throat> you might want to think about that as what, what are the idols that I need to tear down, these boxes that get in the way of the cross, that get in the way of Jesus. You might want to write, write something on them. It's up to you, I just want to leave it with you. Use them if you wish to. Let's pray before we sing again. Oh Jesus, we thank you that you died and came back to life for us. And that you want, uh, want us to stare at you. You want us to focus our gaze on you. Lord Jesus, would you reveal to us these things that we put in the way of being able to worship you in spirit and truth, both as individuals and also as a church, as a group of people. Help us to come alive, Lord. Free us. Help us to see what these idols are. And help us smash them down. In Jesus' name, amen. more information about St. Saviour's, please visit our website at www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.